0: You are listening to Defunct Games Presents... Cyril Reed's Bionic Commando. Previously on... Cyril Reed's Bionic Commando. After successfully taking on the evil Nas organization... Jack Markson and his partner, Super Joe... were ready to celebrate their victory. But General Generalissimo, Kilt, and the bad terrorist group had other ideas... Using ninjas and snipers, Kilt ruined their day and kidnapped Super Joe. Thankfully, Jack was able to escape, but not before suffering some major injuries to his arm. The Federation may have been able to save Jack, but they were forced to remove his arm and attach a plastic bionic arm, though it would aid him in his quest to defeat Kilt and rescue Super Joe. And that is how Jack became the Bionic Commander. Chapter 3 For the next four weeks, Jack trained for his mission to rescue Super Joe. He began by building up his strength, working with weights, and doing wind sprints. He practiced the martial arts with the Federation schoolmasters, slowly learning to move his bionic arm with the rhythm of his body. He spent hours with Federation scientists and technicians, experimenting with the powers of his bionic arm. Finally, the day came when he was called before the captain for his final briefing. Jack walked into the control center of Federation headquarters, a maze of blinking computer monitors and huge data banks. He strode into the captain's large, book lined office, feeling determined and strong. You can still back out, Jack, the captain said when he saw him. Jack met his steely gaze and held it. I'm ready for the mission, sir. Good. In that case, we have a lot to work to do. Uh, we'll, We'll start with the map of the secret base in the Pacific where Albatross is hidden. The captain spread out a large, detailed map on the table in front of them. It showed 18 different zones of the bad hideout, some on land and some on water. Most of these zones are heavily guarded by kilt soldiers, the captain explained. You'll be parachuting into these from a chopper. Once inside, you'll establish contact with our double agents in place. They're all top agents, risking their lives just like you. Jack wanted to ask the captain, Who else would be working with him on these missions? But he knew that this information was confidential. The less he knew, the less the enemies could torture out of him. What about the other zones? Jack asked, turning back to the map. They're neutral zones, Jack. We don't know yet how much they've been infiltrated by bad soldiers, but it's important that you don't fire your gun first in these zones. I repeat, do not fire your gun first in these zones. The captain's instructions went on for the next four hours. Jack memorized every detail and every warning. Finally, the briefing was over. Jack felt that he couldn't wait another hour to get on with the mission. When do I leave? He asked the captain impatiently. Tomorrow morning, the captain answered, briskly, You'll be flown to the Pacific in a Federation supersonic transporter and dropped on a friendly base. What happens then? Jack asked. You'll find out tomorrow, the captain said with an air of mystery. You're dismissed now, Jack. Yes, sir, Jack said, turning to go. Oh, and Jack, the captain called out, as he started to leave the room. Jack stopped and turned to face the Federation leader. He wondered what final order the captain could give him. Take care of that arm, Jack, the captain said, eyeing the bionic arm. You're replaceable. It's not. Jack boarded the supersonic transporter at dawn the next morning. As it lifted off, he took a final look at the Federation headquarters, wondering if he'd ever see that place again. Then he steeled his mind for the mission ahead. From now on, every move counted. Every second counted. He would have to react to dangerous situations like a well-programmed computer. Jack looked down at his bionic arm and smiled at the irony. Part of him was a well-programmed computer. He had become familiar with his bionic arm's sensation and capabilities, but he still thought of it as a machine attached to his body, not part of himself. Mr. Markson, your orders! Jack looked at the Federation soldier standing beside him with a sealed black envelope. He took it and waited for the soldier to leave before opening it. The envelope contained the specifications of a small helicopter he would use to fly to the enemy outpost. He studied its operation and control panel. Then he memorized the map and showed his route to stage one of the mission. Two hours later, Jack walked across the hot tarmac of the Federation's secret base on an obscure Pacific island. He felt beads of sweat gather on his forehead from the hot tropical air. He climbed into the small helicopter waiting for him. It was painted in camouflage blue-gray that would make it difficult to be seen in the sky or over water. Jack felt a thrill of excitement as he started up the engine. The rotor above his head began to whirl in a smooth, steady hum. He pressed a button at the left side of the control panel, putting the copter into lift mode. Jack gave a whoop as the copter took off into the clear Pacific sky. Once airborne, Jack punched the coordinates of his destination into the helicopter's computer. It was a fast little machine. Twenty minutes later, he recognized the configuration of the bad secret outpost below him. He maneuvered the helicopter into position above stage one. I know you're down there somewhere, Joe, Jack said aloud, gazing at the grim buildings of the enemy stronghold. I'm coming to get you, and then we're going to wipe Kilt and his bads off the face of the earth. Jack set the helicopter on autopilot and turned on the auto-hover control. The helicopter would be waiting for him, right here, hovering over the same spot when he came back. If he made it, that is. He checked the ammunition in his gun for one final time, double-checked his parachute, and opened the escape hatch in the cockpit. Before he jumped out, Jack looked down at his bionic arm. We're in this together, buddy, he said. You take care of me, and I'll take care of you. Jack jumped out into the wide, blue Pacific sky. His parachute billowed out like a white cloud above him. Then he slowly drifted down into the fortress of the Bad Empire. Game hint! Get the machine gun from the Destroyer two in Stage 18. Chapter 4 Jack's muscles tensed as the parachute dropped lower and lower into the enemy complex. He felt like an insect dangling from a spider's web. He hoped Kilt's soldiers didn't have him in their sights. Below him sat a five-story green building, built like a military installation. Jack remembered seeing it in the captain's map. It was the communication building, the first destination in Stage 1. The drop seemed to take forever. Finally, Jack's feet hit the ground with a thud. He fell into a crouch and gathered up his parachute, stuffing it into a deep hole into the ground. Before moving, Jack checked out the area for a possible sniper's nest. The main building was in back. The two metal towers soared up from in front of him. In the distance, green palm trees waved in the tropical breeze. Everything was quiet too quiet, Jack thought. He knew from experience that this was the kind of silence that could mean death. The gunfire started a few seconds later. Jack caught sight of 10 bad soldiers running from their hiding places, firing at him with semi-automatic weapons. Jack took cover behind the metal tower and made a desperate run for the main building. He activated the grappling hook on his bionic arm... The hook shot up and caught onto the ledge of the building's second story. Jack swung himself up, inches ahead of the bullets whizzing around his body. For a second, he looked down at his bionic arm in awe. It had saved his life already. A burst of gunfire to his left snapped him back into reality. Jack shot out of the grappling hook onto the next ledge up, escaping the soldiers running towards him with a bazooka. He watched 10 bad soldiers run around in confusion on the ground below. They were having trouble following his rapid vertical climb. Only two more stories and he'd be inside the communication center. Jack shot the hook straight up and flipped onto the fourth story ledge. He came face to face with an amazed bad soldier, struggling to reload his gun. Jack stunned him with a karate chop and then swung up to the top floor crept towards the door of the communications center and slipped inside. Once he knew he was safe, Jack slumped against the wall. He wasn't as fit as he had hoped. The operation had taken a lot out of him, and working the bionic arm wasn't easy yet. But he was still alive, and he was on his way to rescue Super Joe, and, and really that's all that mattered. Jack studied the banks of blue screens and monitors... Covering one wall of the room, he reviewed the instructions the captain had given him for using the communications center. Then he pulled out his red communicator and he punched in the secret code for the Federation double agent in stage one. Jack stared at the monitors nervously and waited. It wasn't a good idea to have time to think. He started to worry about Joe and his mission. What if Joe had already been killed? What if the double agent had been captured and tortured? What if Kilt knew he was on his way and just waiting for the signal? A monitor in front of Jack flickered for a second. Then a familiar face with Federation Training School came on. This is MA1, the agent said. Listen carefully to what I have to say, Jack. Many of our agents have already infiltrated the area. It is essential that you stay in communication with us. You won't survive unless you do. I understand that. Jack answered. Have you seen Super Joe? MA 1. Negative, Jack. MA 1 answered. But I know he's in the complex and alive. You have to listen carefully to my instructions, Jack. Otherwise, you won't be able to get close enough to Joe to save him. Jack had to bite back the words he wanted to say. Why did MA 1 have the right to call the shots on this mission? He tried to remind himself of the captain's orders. Obey the instructions of the agent in place. I'm listening, MA-1, he said. Before leaving the room, remember to eavesdrop on the enemy, MA-1 said. You will learn valuable information. Use it to plan your strategy for evading him. Where do I go next? Jack asked, anxious to get on with the mission. Go through the open door on the right of the control panel. MA1 ordered. Ignore the dangers that you see. Your trained with the bionic arm can get you through. And remember, stay in touch with our agents at all time. The face of MA1 faded into the computer monitor. Jack had a sudden impulse to forget everything he had said and follow his own instincts. Joe couldn't wait while he skipped from step to step in his mission. Jack caught the reflection of his face in the monitor. It reminded him that he wasn't a kid anymore. He'd better stop thinking like one. Jack punched the button on his communicator into eavesdrop mode. He watched as the monitor dissolve into the face of a bad officer with a three-day stubble on his chin. Jack caught the end of the conversation with another bad leader. "'Commander! Commander! Beware of the elevator, Commander!' The officer's face was wiped out by interference. The monitor flickered for a few seconds and then dissolved into a threatening face of one of Kilt's top commanders. "'Now we have you,' he barked. Jack didn't wait around to find out who he was talking about. He ran for the open door, climbed over the side of the building, and started to rappel down the outside wall. Halfway down, a bad sniper shot him. Jack knew he was in trouble. He had to find a shortcut over the next building. Jack shot out the grappling hook into a metal tower between the two buildings. He missed. The sniper took aim and fired. Jack dodged the bullet just in time. Again, he shot out the grappling hook. This time it held. He swung out over the four-story drop hoping the Federation engineers had a safe cable. Landing on top of the tower, he shot the hook onto the ledge of the very next building. Jack swung over to it and ran for cover inside. Ahead of him was an entrance of an elevator. He jumped inside, hoping for a quick escape. Then, in a flash, he remembered the message on eavesdrop mode. Beware of the elevator! Just before the door shut, Jack jumped out. Seconds later, a bomb ripped it apart. The sound of bad soldiers came pounding from behind him. Jack looked around in panic. There was an open elevator shaft where the bomb had gone off. He jumped down it just as the soldiers spotted him. Suddenly, Jack was falling down a deep, black hole. His mind flashed back to the fall in Buenos Aires. He felt himself starting to go numb, just like he did before he blacked out. Then something worse happened. He forgot how to work the grappling hook of his bionic arm. To be continued. And now, an open letter to J.B. Stamper, the author of Bionic Commando. Dear J.B. Stamper, Hello again! So, we've officially made it through the first four chapters, and I have to admit that so far, it's been a pretty good book. Sure, we got off to a rocky beginning, especially with the whole ninjas and that plastic arm thing, but these two chapters were a little less crazy and actually made for some pretty good drama. Not great drama, mind you, but pretty good nonetheless. Alright, so... Uh, we have a reason for Jack to swing in and into action and, and kick some bad ass. Uh, as far as I can tell, you've done your job. But there's just one thing I don't understand. Why is it that you need Jack to rescue Super Joe when the Federation appears to have a full army infiltrating Kilt's bases? I mean, wh- why can't all of those guys just band together, sabotage everybody else's weapons, save Super Joe, destroy the Appletross, and uh, then, you know, get the heck out of there? It isn't isn't that just a, a all around better plan? And while I'm picking this book apart, is there a reason you needed this secret base to be called Stage One? This may be based on a video game. But there's really no reason for you to use video game names. Uh, wouldn't it have made more sense if you had just named Stage One, like you know, with a code name or something? I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I'd much rather skydive into Thunderbolt Island in Stage 1. Who talks like that anyway? Hey, honey, first I'm gonna go to Stage 1 and pick up some milk, and then I'm gonna hit the bonus stage and get some ice cream. See, nobody talks like that. It it just doesn't have a ring to it. Speaking of which, skydiving? Really? How how the hell is our hero going to get back to the helicopter? I mean, it's nice that, that it's just waiting there for him, just hovering above this island or wherever, but I mean, if he had to skydive down in order to make it to stage one, that, that implies that the helicopter's way the heck up there. And since, you know, nobody, not even Jack Markson, is going to skydive from just a couple of hundred feet. So, so, how exactly is he going to reverse that skydive? His bionic arm isn't going to reach that high, and there's not a rope to climb. So, so what the fuck is going to happen? What's he going to use? Why not just land the helicopter or use a boat or something? You know, they, they apparently already know he's there. Maybe there's just a safer way of, of getting into the base. Also, we've already established that A.L. Singer, the author of Ninja Gaiden, is the master of the cliffhanger. So maybe you shouldn't even try. I'm sorry, but unless you're going to come up with something really good, you should leave the cliffhangers to the experts. Having our hero suddenly forget how to use a hook after he's used it like three dozen times in the mission already, is just stupid. It's completely illogical. The only reason is, is, is there is to create drama, let's face it. We already know in Chapter 5 that he's going to suddenly remember how to use it and he's going to save himself, so there's, there's no reason to have it. It's not even drama. Just don't do cliffhangers if you can't do them justice. Anyway, that's about all the time we have for this week. Hopefully, you'll, uh, you'll tune in next week and, and see what I think of chapters, uh, I guess, five and six of Bionic Commando. I appreciate that you, uh, you did write this book, and you made it a whole heck of a lot better than Ninja Gaiden. But then again, you still have plenty of time to screw it up. I hope uh, all is well. I'll see you next Wednesday. Sincerely, Cyril Lachal.